Thanks for listening to Lost and Rewound. You can check us out online at lostandrewound.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Time to get embarrassed with us. I had a tape recorder when I was a tween, and in retrospect, those recordings were obscene. Travel back in time with the familiar sound. Let's all get lost and rewound. Episode 23, Diet Beck, featuring special guests Doug Bledgy and Crystal Hernandez. Greetings, the listeners of Lost and Rewound. I am Alon. I'm Melissa. See, you just have to always, like... I don't have a fun like we talked about this way back at the beginning of season one. I'm not good at voices or impressions, so it's like except Oprah. Well, anyway, the Oprah and person, it's like you're just screaming like that. That's, I'm not actually doing Oprah so much as the intonation. Basically, I, I begin it with like a big fanfare, and then you're like, I'm Melissa, and I'm Melissa. <laughs> I'm Melissa. Yeah, be more into it. I'm also admittedly still used to the rhythm of I'm Doug, I'm Melissa. Or I'm Alon, I'm Melissa, and I'm Doug. Like the the, the well, bu- bu- bu. Um, So we're gonna have to find a new well, rhythm. Well, we have another Doug at least for this go around. We um, do. We have a, another Doug in the Doug episode. Doug Bledgy came back uh, to help us out for a, another uh, edition of B sides. Doug Bledgy from the Teenage Guide to Popularity. Yes, yes, from the Teenage Guide to Popularity. Originally, Alicia Kennedy was supposed to join him, and then at the last minute couldn't make it. But uh, we were lucky enough to get. Doug Bledgy and his partner, uh, Crystal Hernandez, the two of them um, were there. Yeah, and you made a f- you took a field trip out to Bushwick oh, for this one. Oh, I took a field trip. This was basically our B-Sides episode that we were supposed to do, and it ended up becoming a remote. And by remote, I mean a remote. Yeah, when, we say, when we say Bushwick, we mean like off the J-Train, walk up... Like it, it's deep, were, it's deep, deep Bushwick. Bushwick. Yeah, my understanding of where um, Doug Bludgey lives is it's I not like, oh, it's off the Morgan L. No, like no, I could have thrown a rock to Jimmy's pad if he's still out there. Yeah. Wherever like, he is <laughs> in the deep, deep woods of Bushwick. <laughs> the fact that they even uh, let me come in, I, I, God, I mean, I, I'm so thankful that I was even allowed to come by because we didn't have a place to record and it just worked out. So that said... The audio quality on this most of this episode is that of a remote recording. Oh it's- yeah, no, I, I, I look, I'm not, I'm still working out these kinks here. I'm a, I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst at doing these things on my own yet. So you'll have to re- recognize that I. Alana's what- more of a creative type than a producer. Yeah, well, well, it'll, I'll work it out. He's I, learning. I'm learning as I go along, folks. Uh, I, I prepared myself almost perfectly just for one lack of uh recognizing one button that i was supposed to press but it's all good you can hear us all in somewhat stereo <laughs> in a if in anything a... It's, it's still better than our subway recording from last episode oh yeah oh yeah for sure for sure so enjoy this episode of b-sides and let's get to it Yeah. 
last had the bludgy. We chatted about the website that he curates with Alicia Kennedy, a Tumblr devoted to music videos called The Teenage Guide to Popularity. Over the last year, their fledgling side project of hosting music video parties has taken a few lives of their own for the Brooklyn-centric crowd. For Doug specifically, it manifested itself into yours, mine, a monthly residency at Passenger Bar in Brooklyn with partner Crystal Hernandez. Please welcome to the show, Doug and Crystal. And hey, thanks for having me over, Doug. No problem. Thank you for coming to my house. Talk, talk a little bit about the evolution from Teenage Guy to Yours Mine. Okay. Well, um, Teenage Guy's popularity is a, a thing that I do with Alicia Kennedy. Uh, we still do that every month, um, also at Passenger Bar, uh, but at various other places as well. And what that is is a music video party. Um, what Crystal and I do as yours mine is um, a little bit more old school. It's a DJ night thing, but we basically were just does different themed parties, and we've done three so far. Each one with a very specific mission uh, for curating songs and whatnot. And uh, yeah, we've done three so far. We have one coming up, and it's pretty cool. I went to I've been to one teenage bad popularity show, and then I got the chance to go to the one over at Passenger Bar recently. And that was a Teenage Bad Party? Or I think you were at a Teenage Bad Party, yeah. So, basically, you just play whatever. But it seems like you got a, a good theme going, no? And in terms of every single party that you throw, there is some sort of theme going on, just like with the Teenage Bad. Yeah, well, with yours, mine, um, the first one was a Twin Peaks-themed party. Amazing. Basically, we just crystallized a bunch of different songs that sort of fit the sort of lynching mold. Yeah, it was really, if it's Crystal sort of went with it. David Lynch said it more my passion. Yeah. So essentially, I was, that's how Yours Mind started more or less, because I was given the assignment by Passenger Bar. And, yeah, and I sort of was like, I sort of took over. Yeah, exactly. I was like, like oh, you did that last time? Okay. Yeah, because like Crystal and I basically, we talk every day on GChat, and we were, I was telling her about the party, and basically she sort of, like she said, took it over, and I'd say probably... 80% of the music was selected by her for that one. Mm-hmm. And then I, like, live DJed it. Right. So that one was interesting. Was playing Twin Peaks episodes. So it seems like you're veering off way past just the uh, involvement of the 90s, for sure. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. when we last spoke about uh, Teenage Night, oh. I think at that point we hadn't really ventured out of 1990s stuff. Um, since then, Teenage Guy had expanded to playing pretty much anything from any decade. Uh, and we do themed parties and whatever, but for the most part, we just kind of do whatever we want. Whereas with Crystal and I, when we DJ together, it's fun because it's we, the limitations end up becoming sort of an interesting yeah. way to do it. Because So the first one was um, the, team, the, uh, the Team Twin Peaks thing. But then a month later, she and I did a My So Called Life. I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. And for that. It was just super fun. So yeah. so, I mean, I, I was like the exact age of Angela Chase when I saw. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was very, very dear to my heart. Sure. And I own the DVD set. So yeah, Crystal and I, we rewatched the whole series and um, basically picked a set that ranged mostly from just the, the two years that the show touched, which was 1994 and 1995. Um, a little bit, a few things before that, but and then some things specifically from the show that could have been from any year, yeah. but primarily it was alternative music 
from those two years? Well, that's a fantastic segue because, I mean, honestly, when we were preparing for this uh, event, so to speak, because it's well, pretty much an event, this whole uh, go-around we mm. had going here, 1999, mm. my so-called no, no, it only has one season. It was still, I think MTV might have still been running it like in syndication. Sure. Yeah, but at that point. Well, wasn't it going on ABC at that point? Well, it started on ABC. Yeah. Yeah. No, and then, and then MTV. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they like bought it and they, I think they got it for very cheap, which is how they were able to play it so much. Yeah, they played it constantly. I mean, I saw every episode like four times on TV. Yeah, I remember it always being on. Yeah. What were you listening to in the late 90s? What was your, what, what, what were you listening to like, uh, or watching on MTV? What was your big thing? I know you were into the DC Boys at the time. Certainly, yeah, but no, 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 you, you answer first. The late 90s, uh, trying to think. I mean, I was very into like indie rock at the time or alternative rock at the time. I, I didn't venture to like anything else. I was very much like an alternative team. Yeah, sure. Uh, I had like a my I think my sophomore year I was I was in, that was ninety seven I had like a Smashing Pumpkins t shirt on and my like school picture. Nice. Hair parted down below and a boy. That's funny. Oh yeah. You keep it on your wall at all times. <laughs> yeah. I love it. So yeah, ninety nine was yeah a lot of rock for me. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Kind of the same, although I don't think I was quite as indie as Crystal was. I'm trying to think, in 1999, see, our first year I bought CDs was 1998, mm-hmm. and I was just recently going over what it was that I got that year. I mean, like, Beck had an album out that year. I remember Mutations, I was listening to it a lot oh, yeah. in 1999, and Midnight Vultures came out that year. But I also really liked, I mean, I liked a lot of cheesy stuff. I liked Dave Matthews' band. The Hole had a record in 98 I was really into, that was Slippery Skin. Yep. And... Yeah, it's funny to talk because I was, like, over this stuff. Yeah, I know, yeah. yeah. Like, and I wasn't, I didn't not quite have, like, you were probably, you were listening to, like, Pavement and stuff. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Whereas for me, I was listening to stuff that was way more, like, mainstream alternative. So, mm-hmm. you know, in 99, Stone Pilots had an album out that yes. I was into called Number 4. Um, main picture show. No, wait, sorry, that was the one before. That's Tiny Music. Number Which, four was um, Sour Girl. Sour Girl was on that. Yeah. And, I don't know, those were like the main things. I was, You know what it was? I think I was into a lot of bands that were, that had broken through in the 92-93 area mm-hmm. and were sort of in a period where they were kind of in a, not winding down, but like definitely not in their heyday anymore, so... I was definitely like into like the Pearl Jam records that were coming out around that time, Simple Pilots, or you know just groups like that, Smashing Pumpkins, bands that had already put through like their big breakthroughs, but were still making records. Some good, some very good and underrated, and some just not so good. Well, I'm happy to tell you guys that uh, because of the, the evidence you've given me, I have definitely picked two people who would be right to for the picking for. Um, wants to listen. Uh, the tape we're listening to this time is one of my own. A tape of all radio recordings I made in 1999. Now, my two outlets for checking out the music then myself, aside from MTV, were radio stations in the Hudson Valley where I grew up. There was the Woodstock station, WDST, and then there was the Middletown Poughkeepsie station, WRRV. Now, I should state for the record that although I do still listen to DST, Whenever I go to visit the folks, 
I do not listen to WRRV anymore, and I honestly don't even remember what the fuck the, mm-hmm. the FM frequency number was, mm-hmm. where it was in the dial. Um, here's the thing. RRV's format is solely top 40 for modern rock. You know, the, yeah. the top, rock, top 40 modern rock format, which was a far cry from the free rock alternative format that WDST offered, which did have a lot of indie assertiveness and some classic rock mixed in. So, you know, they catered into an arguably a more adult audience with more free reign over the playlist, whereas RRB was beholden to early clear channel tendencies. But they still managed to sneak in a few new artists here and there, which makes some appearances, actually, on this tape. Uh, it wasn't hard for both stations to cross each other regarding certain artists, and you can hear the seamlessness in some faces as the tape progresses. The 16-year-old me was undoubtedly curious to seek out more upbeat tracks. So RRV was the better of the two with the offering at the time because, you know, you just want to listen to what everybody else is listening to, right? I would essentially go back and forth between both stations and record the songs. Mm-hmm. I would like to, during this playback, see if you guys can guess which of these songs are from WDST mm-hmm. and which are from WRRV. Jackie is just speeding away Thought she was Jim Dean for a day Then I guess she had to crash Valium would have helped that fashion I said, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side I said, hey honey, take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls say Do, 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 do After dozens of focus groups and massive research projects, the consultancy has done the work for you. You'll reach those desirable demos your GM will flip for. Oh, wow. We've got the tools and the experience. The consultancy knows there's no source in your market for French hip-hop. And if there is, you can always own whistling. With classics like The Andy Griffith Show and a library full of up-and-coming artists like this, you'll kill in the ratings. And who could forget those classic 50s Japanese westerns? That's right, partner. You're entering Asian country. Or, if it's older demos you want, we've got them. Can you say... Bingo. Oh, 64. And you're sure to get qualitative numbers out the ass with one and three right left through. Square dancing. I'm just going to leave it to you guys to guess which station these come from. Okay. So what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) So, wait, you mean like just... Which station do you you think that these two songs came from? The commercial and the uh, Lubrito? Walk on the Wild Side was probably on the top 40 station because it's a popular song. No, because <laughs> actually, well, because it was a, because they weren't really playing any of the classic or rock. Oh, okay. They were playing more of the newer stuff. Oh, okay. Crystal, what do you, where do you think the other uh, the commercial came from? I would say that would be on the, the oh, 
Uh, the other, not the popular one. Yeah, okay. DST. Yeah. So, I, I should know. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. It's honestly like the most bizarre. Yeah, like what was even being advertised? I'm not even sure what was going on there. Like, <laughs> I wish I could like tell you. Like a sound library or something. It was just like so like. I, I used to listen to this show that was on par with a lot of the college radio variety where it would just be something completely bizarre and freeform and irreverent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of college radio did that. I don't yeah. know. You, you guys are – I know you're from Long Island. Are you from Long Island as well? Or? Uh, Cleveland you're from Cleveland. Yeah, I didn't really know about it in high school, but, yeah, a lot of my friends listen to several different, like, college things around. Oberlin is around and, you know. The only person who might know who that – where that comes from is the DJ who released it onto the world. A guy named Dave Leonard, who oh. hosts Unleashed, a show that still goes on to the, on DST to this day. Incidentally, one of the more commercial disinterested artists of the 70s is what that goes after. I mean, I feel like Lou Reed pretty much disassociated himself completely from any pop music whatsoever with, uh, I mean, a lot of his stuff, he, especially. He shifts back and forth. I mean... <clears throat> Obviously, there's metal machine music, but right, metal machine music, yeah, um, which is like one of the more also, one of the more dissonant uh, pop yeah, releases. Yeah, but then he also has releases in the '80s that are very pop, but they're pop in a very weird way. Yeah, like there's that song, you know, original rapper, which is like a pop rap song that he did. Uh, I think it's on Mistro. Obviously, he was always like an alternative icon. Right. He always sort of bounced back and forth between. I feel like it, with him, it was always this thing, if he happens to be something that was uh, accepted in the mainstream, it was always incidental. Like, a big album for him in the 80s was in New York. Right. But I don't feel like New York is a record that is a pop record. It's just a record that happened to just, at that time, which I think was like 1988, just, you know, clicked with a certain demographic. But then he also just made records in the 80s that were just like totally bizarre. But yeah, no. So I mean, it, but it, regardless, it makes sense that it would be on that station because he's always been an alternative icon way before there was a term for. Plus, it's Woodstock, so you know they're all about yeah, the classic yeah. rock. Yeah. I mean, and just in general, the sort of the anti-establishment pop kind of you know pl- artists that are seminal but weren't necessarily trying to do what everybody else was doing. Precisely. Like, yeah. You know, it's funny. I didn't grow up with a lot of classic rock. I've talked about it before. Mm. You know, I didn't really grow up with a lot of classic rock in the household. A bunch of vinyl that I could have grown up with, all the classic artists were just gone from a house bar. And so Velvet Underground was a name that I didn't even know about until like 95. So I was in middle school and I just started a new school in Poughkeepsie, a private school. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first exposure to the name Velvet Underground was by way of a kid who was two years younger than me. And it turned out that his dad was Sterling Morrison. No way. <laughs> who had just passed away. Wow. And, like, the kid left the school a few years later, and I never knew what became of him. But I just – it was really kind of awkward because the kid had just much of a difficult time fitting in as I did. But he had already just been there, like, a year or two before me. Wow. That's uh, crazy. So that, that's, that's how I found him at Velvet Underground. Yeah, for me. Yeah, what did you first start listening to them? Pretty late, I would say. Oh, what's late for you, though? I mean, like, really late. College? Yeah, late college, even. Yeah. For me, it was, uh, well, probably around the same time, but sophomore year of <laughs> high school. 
I bought uh, Velvet Underground Nico on CD, I think the first day of my sophomore year of high school. I went to Nobody Beats the Wiz and bought it on CD. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Bringing it to the New York Central crowd. Yeah. I kind of don't know why, because I'm not sure if I knew any specific song from the record. I think I bought it kind of on recommendation or... Not even recommendation on just the iconic um, iconography of the front cover. Yeah, and I, I think that's it's funny because I think I found it in college because of Andy Warhol. Yeah, exactly. Because of art school. Yeah. Right. And just yeah, I, I saw the cover. I knew that it was a seminal record and that it was very strange. I mean, it's a very strange record for 1967 or really any time, but I mean definitely for its time. So I just bought it because I was like, oh, this probably will be cool. And uh, and yeah, I mean it's. I've always said that I like white, light, white heat the best, but I think I, I think I always just said that to be cool. Yeah. <laughs> the the first record really is the best one because it's just very diverse and yeah. kind of touches on everything that the three records that proceed it do in just one record, and then some. Oh, yeah. I, um, once you told me, once we like decided on it, I was like, 
That just didn't work, basically. That's <laughs> and yeah, it was just like oh. it was just like nothing got done at our jobs. But it was cool because basically we played, you know, definitely a lot of the basics, which are like you know T Rex and David Bowie. But we all and those basics. But then there's we also did so much digging yeah, and um, the art the halls probably. And, yeah. Well, yeah, that was we did, it. We did the American plan. Yeah. And um, but then there was stuff that we were playing like Wizard. And Sparks. Crystal loves Sparks. And some bands, a few that I had never heard of. I don't think I ever even known of the Glitter Band. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's Gary Glitter. Oh, wait, that's Gary Glitter? Yeah, that's his band. Gary oh, okay. Glitter. All right. So, well, I definitely never heard of, um, what was it, Ra- uh, Radio Radio Stars. Okay. Yeah. Which is more of a punk group, but they had yeah, a sort of clammy yeah. kind of thing. So, like, same thing with Wool. I, I, you know, I've always really liked Thundertones, but... Uh, they're a punk band, but they kind of have a glammy kind of yeah. thing. So we played some, you know, the, some things that wrote a line. Of, for yeah, sure. like you know, the Rolling Stones are not a glamour band, but they have a song called "Bitch," which is very glammy. So we sort of pulled everything from the era that kind of fit in. Like you know, ABBA have some songs that are very yeah. glammy, even though they're a pop group. Uh, and yeah, so, so like basically both the these songs that we heard tonight, that and the Lou Reed song. We're both from records that we played a lot of songs from. So would you say that that where, where which radio station would you say that came? I forget the, the letters. DST. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the indie one. The indie um, of the two, probably. Yeah. Uh, what about the, the one before? <laughs> oh. So that's a really loaded question. Yeah, I have to listen to these right. in order to know what I'm playing for the show. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. But I mean, like, do you listen to your old tapes? Do you have, yes. do you have a ton? I, I, uh, yeah, you're okay. talking to the tape, dude. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Um. So we do not know who that artist is. Yeah. Anybody out there yeah. knows yeah. what what bum is living in the WDST offices? Yeah. Just like it's like here, please, yeah. please, please, just put it on. Sometime in '98 or '99. Yeah. Uh. But yeah, I don't know. I and mean, it's a catchy song. If we don't know who the, even the artist is, there's no context. But it's like, wait, did they even make any other music? Like, where are they now? Et cetera, et cetera. Which happens to be the case with a lot of the artists on here. I think one thing about Love is a Drug that I wanted to point out, because I I remember being obsessed with that song when I first heard it. I think it was my introduction to Roxy Music. Mm -hmm. Uh, The chorus I interpolated into material I wrote for an original musical with the Woodstock Youth Theater. Oh, wow. It was a show called Journey to Friday, which centered on fitting in into your new school. And uh, I don't remember the exact details of how it got interpolated, but I suspect that the poem, which I had written, where I was like, catch that buzz, love is a drug I'm thinking of, can't you see, love is a drug for me. And then I was just like kind of interpolating it with other original words that I had. So that did not make it past first draft rehearsals <laughs> or something to that effect. I remember seeing it done in rehearsals, but it just, yeah, it wasn't performed at the show. Wow. Anyway, that, that, that's my Roxy that's Music that's story. That's yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny because we were just talking about Roxy Music yesterday, where Crystal, Crystal asked me what their most popular album was, to which I didn't really, there's no way I feel like solid answer to that, but what I said was, I was like, oh, well, Love is the Drug is their most popular song, and that's on Siren. But then she was like, yeah, we had yeah, we had, she's like, more than this is the most popular song. I think more than this. Is yeah. The <laughs> yeah, thank you. Let's, uh, let, let's keep going.
Canadian one hit and one days <laughs> right after the other. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Yeah. Are, are Lynn are Canadian? Yeah. Oh, I, I remember seeing that a lot on much music. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. And I guess Prozac never really got over. That was the other group? Yeah. Okay, that I I never heard of that song before. They gave it, the DJ gave it away that it was DST. Um, what about sure, Lynn? Yeah. Well, that was a that was a top forty yeah. hit, so I feel that was R of it, yeah. Um, and what a resurgence that song has had, I feel. It, no, it does. A resurgence? Yeah, I, mean, I, I hear so. it all the time. Now, yeah, I feel like at parties. Still with sunshine has I feel like become a staple, at least in here in Brooklyn, of the past few years. It's great because I always loved that song. I was a huge fan of it when it came out. <clears throat> and I didn't listen to it for like years and years and years because it was just so played out. Right. It's back. It's back and for I, good. I couldn't be happier. The Prozac song. Not quite as much. No. Well, you see, I, I was reading up a little bit about it and uh, they really didn't have much after that. I think they just really stayed really more contained in Canada. I think they may have like won a few Juno awards. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I remember that does that, not make a difference to me. I remember there was a group called Prozac, but I definitely remember P R O Z Z A K or Z K. Yeah. I, works, I worked in a record store for a while and I, I, I seem to recall that being in our, you know, dollar bin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Take you out, ask what you're all about. I always smell like smoke, everything's just a joke. I never look at you when you come hear me sing. These are not all of me, many simple things you can't run wrong with me. What would you tell me, please?
that first one uh, seems to be uh, Santana featuring yeah. Everlast. Yeah, that album. I recognized Santana first. I was like, why? Yeah, and I recognized Everlast first. <laughs> Teamwork. This is why we work. Yo, that album was huge back oh, then. Yeah. yeah. Obnoxiously yeah, huge. Very big yeah. because it, I mean, just that, that sort of crossing over demographics. Yeah. yeah. Of, like the old people liking it. Yeah. The young one people single like after the other. Yeah. It was like one single after the other that catered to one particular uh, yeah. audience, really. Yeah. I mean, real quick story about that, just in terms of like recent years. I was in a thrift store in Brooklyn uh, two years ago buying something, and they put the owners of the store put Supernatural, the record, on, and the Rob Thomas song, Smooth, which is just a huge number one hit at that time, came on, and everybody in the store kind of gradually started, like, getting into it. Like, they were sort of in denial at first, but by the end, everybody was kind of moving around and yeah. kind of mouthing the words a little bit, because, like, <laughs> nobody had, like, listened to that song in, in forever, but when they did hear it, it was like, you heard it in the intro. I remember pretty much all the singles that he was coming out with, even with the one with Michelle Branch, the yeah. next one. And then on the uh, yeah, yeah. what was that one? That was Wyclef. That was yeah, yeah. Then the Michelle Branch song was alright too. I mean, I mean, all yeah. the Santana collabs were pretty legit. I like them a lot. I, I, I definitely did not like them. Uh, your father really likes them though, right? Oh yes, he did. He loves Santana. Yeah. Um, he loves corny stuff. I mean, he likes good stuff. He likes a lot. He, her dad has got a very like you know just big cross section of everything kind of thing. Some stuff is yeah. Kind of lame. Was, Some stuff is totally awesome. Well, to that point, was he listening to Santana when uh, he was growing up and listening to music? So it was something to be like, yes. hey, a it's new Santana album, you're back with yeah, this stuff. Like, yeah, totally, yeah, Smooth is like his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I just loved it. I'm like, Crazy. I would not be one of the people that's sort of like, staying on it, but like, give me a fuck. What do we think that's, that. Which is definitely the top station. Yeah. What about the next one, uh, the Guster song? The Guster song, yeah. It took me a second, but it's like I remember that song. I think I remember seeing that on played live on some MTV show. Because their big song, the bigger song, was a song called Fa Fa Parentheses. Yes, Never Be the Same, Never be the same Again. That I actually remember at least seeing a music video for. Yeah. This song, which I don't remember the title, but I remember I just remember the chorus or whatever. I think I remember seeing it on some MTV show where they just played it live. Right. Um, There's only two guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No bassist, mm-hmm. just a drummer and a guitarist. Some, yeah. Or in multi-instrumentalist yes, and a yeah, guitarist. Yeah. And I think my one of my two sisters might have had the record, but yeah. I'm not sure. So you guys going to do a crunchy, hippie uh, yeah, game night? Never know. <laughs> I saw them live once, too. Uh, but Santana-inspired. Yeah, it's going to just be a Santana night. Just <laughs> make it a Santana night. It's all Latin rock. We'll be there alone. Yeah. And then the third song, what do we think that was from? Oh, see that? That I did not <sighs> If only Doug Johnson were here. God. Oh, the sound guy? Yeah. If, if Yeah, yeah, the sound guy. Where are you? Wherever you are. No. Yeah. Uh, D- Doug Johnson, if you're listening, we need your feedback immediately. This song... Because so, I've, I've heard it before. Jimmy's Chicken Shack. Oh. I'm saying what that means. Do right. See, but that wasn't even... I've never listened to that kind of thing before. I remember Jimmy's Chicken Shack, but that was not their biggest song. What? There was some other song that was, like, more aggressive. <laughs> so, you better get up. You better get up while you can. That could have been it, maybe. Yeah, that was it. Uh, I forgot the name of that song. But uh, that's the one I remember. This one, I don't... Like, the song you just played, like, I recognize it, but I don't remember seeing it. It's crazy. That song was all over the place. And I remember the video and the lead singer had some crazy white boy dreadlocks on, like Christopher Patrick style. Yeah, I remember that was a good deal. 
What was up with that? Like the dudes in the nineties thinking they can get away with the, with the rock, with the white Rastafari. Yeah, like the bassist from uh, Not a Surf. Uh, would no, do that. I mean, I think he still has those. Yeah, he still, he has, still them. has them. Yeah, yeah. that's impressive. That's dedication. Yeah, I know. Yeah, the white guys, I love them. Let's keep. Yeah. We gotta keep going. Let's do it. I catch a falling star. song we heard where we think that was off of okay so that's a song called catch a fallen star it's i had it on the never been kissed soundtrack it was the it was the opening number from never been kissed on the cd i think it was either the first song or it opens the movie the first song on it was a semi song so i think the the catch a falling star song opens up the movie yeah yeah for those who don't remember drew barrymore plays a kind of a weird woman who's never been kissed I'm sure everybody knows. Yeah, she's a, she's a weird woman that's never been kissed. That's the story. Bye. Molly Shannon comes in. She does some funny things at one point. I did not prep that 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 talking point. But you can tell. Um, yeah, but American Kiss is adorable. It's a. I it saw it in the uh, movie theater. You saw it in the theaters? Yes, I did. You saw it on the picture screen? Yeah, I did. And my sister and I, we we uh, split the cost of buying the soundtrack. Uh, which is why it's not in my collection today, because she got it whenever she went to college, and now it's probably just in a garbage somewhere. That song is by an artist that I don't remember the name. I felt like it began with the letter C, but it's totally out of Block. Block. Okay, there was a C in the name. The guy's first name, I forget, but his last name is Block, and that was the artist. The song itself is a reworking of a Perry Cuomo number. Yeah, I knew it was an old, like, and that's, singer and yeah. vocal. Exactly. So I was honestly, when I first heard that song, I wasn't even really that interested in the artist, to be honest with you. I mean, it did sound like Beck. It just sounded like, you know. It sounded like a, yeah, it sounded like a Beck song, but like, you, like a diet kind of, yeah. Diet Beck. <laughs> it definitely sounded like that's what they were going for. Let's do this. Let's take this song and I'll do it like it's, it's dead weight. Yeah, like exactly. That. But that was one of the, I would have considered a highlight from that soundtrack. What would you? <laughs> that soundtrack was very good. It had Smiths. It had Beach Boys. 
And then Semisonic. And I had Semisonic. Which is my jam. Yeah, yeah. What um, would you, which, which uh, radio station would you say this one? Well, I thought it was on the indie station. No. That was, was on the top one? Yeah. That's crazy. I don't, I never heard that song. Well, I think what happened was, and there's another song in here too that we can get to later about that, but um, I think it was featured in the, here's some obscure stuff oh, that we don't okay. play. Yeah, yeah. But I heard it there for the first time. Yeah, um, it was in a big movie. You know? Exactly. The the second song is it's okay if you don't know it because it's probably one of the more obscure songs that I'm lucky to even know. Honestly, the only reason I know about Jeremy Toback mm-hmm. is because and that song is called You Make Me Feel, is because when I went to Lollapalooza in ninety seven, mm-hmm. which is my second time there actually, luckily enough, I managed to get my hands on this insane sampler of like all these indie bands. Mm-hmm. Amphuse, Thin Lizard Dawn, ugh, like Crustacean, Moist, Nerf Herder, Abamore. Hey, if you can say hoist, hoist doesn't sound weird. So why would moist sound weird? Yeah. I don't know. I so the but like she, Crystal and I had a conversation about that and and that was always Moist is a pretty shitty name. Moist always comes up when we have a discussion. Ner- Nerf Herder uh was just Nerf Herder, yeah. Nerf Herder was uh is like a punk indie punk mm-hmm. band. So yeah, and all the these. Fans yeah, and Abba Moore, Four Leaf Clover on there. Matthew Sweet has a song on there called mm-hmm. "Get Over It." It's like a random. Every couple. Every couple. Every couple. <laughs> he is on every couple. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So the list goes on. And Jeremy Toback, this random guy, has a song on there too with a song called "California Phase." And then he comes out with this song, "You Make Me Feel." Two years later, and I don't know. I found it rather poignant when I heard it for the first time. I'm like, whoa. He's on my radio. Yeah. Where are all the other groups on the sampler? Sure, right. This guy's on here. Where? Where's Amphuse? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, uh, no one ever heard from Jeremy Toback again, although he does have an active Twitter. If you uh, Google his name, you'll see his website come up, and I'm pretty sure it got hacked. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't, but that's what it looked like. Slave to the <laughs> But, you I mean... What, what do you think? Probably the indie or the, the more commercial? Definitely the indie one. Okay, that you'd be right. If I was beautiful like you I'd be quick to assume They do anything to please me That night I see the reaction When you walk into the room
one is the most recognizable to me we were both trying to figure it out and she was like crystal said something about like how it's like see my first thing i'm thinking is jill sobel but it's not yeah yeah and uh, it's like bizarro jill sobel yeah 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 the thing is i remember that song I beautiful remember, by I, joy drop joy drop i definitely had seen the video before. yeah we both made just like this huge face when it went into <laughs> You made life. you made what they call a fizz face. Yeah, like I just total gas face uh, <laughs> status there. I'm just because I, I I seriously when uh, the year that that came out, I, I remember hearing it and it just having the same reaction, just being like, oh yuck. Yeah, I don't know why I put it on. Honestly, I feel like that and the second song were just these perfect nuggets of alternative era that I was never going to hear again. Mm-hmm. And then I had to just cap them off with, uh, you know, what Joe Jackson, basically just, you know, we started off with Lou Reed and then we ended it with Joe Jackson. That's what that last one was? Yeah. Uh, the radio. Oh. Yeah. The, the middle one was days of the new. Uh, yeah. The middle was days of the new. Yeah. You don't remember days of the new? I remember that name. But that wasn't their big song. Though. No. Tr- see, that song was so funny about that. Song. That specific song. Travis Meeks is the guy behind Days yeah. of the New. And Touch, Peel, and Stand was the big hit yeah. on the first album. Mm-hmm. So the first two albums, here's a factoid, they're both named Days of the New. I don't albums. think I ever saw one hand headline about this band that was a positive one. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. There was always infighting or, like, fighting other bands. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny that you should say that because I remember working at the record store, like, stocking those two albums and both being like what the hell they, they both, both have trees the stupid name and they both have trees on them yeah and they don't have any like you can't really tell unless you're actually a big days of the new fan yeah um, but you know most of the thing i remember he- reading about that mm-hmm. band was is that apparently the band would just play the, whatever show that they were playing and they're never at one point reportedly would interact with the audience mm-hmm. they would just play a straight show mm-hmm. and be like completely very separated yeah like they were just really off i think from day one really i had a song of theirs on another soundtrack Uh uh-huh i had i would i still own it's the godzilla soundtrack yeah they do have a song the godzilla song called running knees on the running knees yeah on that that soundtrack interesting yeah which again that was well that was 98 so that was one of the first that was one of the first cds they ever got what do you what uh stations do you think these guys came from these songs came from okay so the first one was the um joy drop song uh yeah i don't think that song was very big outside of the well, i'm gonna say it was the, the pop station yep you're right okay. you'd be right because it fit because it fit the aesthetic really yeah. if anything i feel like that pop station though like 
considering what's been on there, it's not just strictly Hot 100. Like that is probably no, it's not Hot 100. It's it just to me that they're playing. It's top just top 40, 40 modern. All of the charts. So, you think? So yeah, no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking if it's on, if it's like number 39 on the modern rock charts, it's on the station because yeah. something else was on there earlier. I don't remember what it was, but I was shocked that it was on there. Uh, but. Because I just can't imagine it even being like, being a hot 100 top 40. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that station probably is top 40 all the charts. Yeah. Uh, not just hot 100. But who knows? That's something to look into later, I guess. But. And then um, for the second one, obviously, the same thing. That, Days of the New, I guess that would also, I would say it was also in the top 40. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's, no, there's no way that song is top 40 mainstream in the No. no. Cool station. Yeah. Cool station. Yeah. So we, we've clearly drawn lines <laughs> in the sand. Oh, we're we're gonna get really cool. Check out what was about to drop right now. Science of Things by Bush as a birthday gift that year. So it was one of the first in the first you know year and a half or so of me buying CDs. And yeah, of course, Camel Between Us was the big hit off of that record. Well, let's talk about third albums for a second, though, okay, because sure. Bush yeah. is because that's Bush's third album, and maybe it was just simply 1999. But how did bands that exploded in the mid 90s really truly try to continue staying relevant and match the trends existing in the modern rock canon? Well, that's a good example of, uh, <laughs> of a band at least trying and having canned drums, flirtations with electronica. Yeah, exactly, because that was a big thing. In the like, so like the sort of big beat thing happened in 1997, and I think that made all these alternative rock bands like kind of nervous. Or, yeah. I don't know, or maybe they were all legitimately back with another one of those block rock. Yeah, yeah. What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. So I, 
everybody started jumping on this bandwagon of like, oh, we're going to do like electronic stuff now. And yeah. Just have like, we're, we're going to be rock, but we're going to have the, like, it, that's what led to like the Spawn soundtrack where you can right. rock bands crossbreeding with filter and crystal method. Science of Things at Bush is an example, definitely an example of a band doing that. I'd say from my recollection of the record, mainly just that song. I feel like they put that out there and it was kind of a bait and switch because if you listen to that record, it's not like a lot of that stuff. It, okay. I, I don't From I'm, what I remember. I, I, I dropped like a 16 stone after that album. <laughs> <laughs> so I... But that was I'm a big champion though of Razor Blade Suitcase. Yeah. Uh, As you've made point of before with yeah. the song Swallow. Yeah, what I, I mean, I can't. What I can say about the science of things is, it's a record that every once in a while I'll put on because, like, I'll put my iPod on like album shuffle. Yeah. And I'll say it's not really that different from the others. But if you actually, if you're a Bush apologist like myself, you can definitely find a lot to enjoy on the record. <laughs> Better to be an apologist of Bush the band than Bush the president. Yeah, sure. So. Just, but, um, just to put things into perspective. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as, as you know, it's, it's definitely... It's yeah, of, if someone coming to it like me who's never heard it, I would be like, this is total crap. I feel like if I made you listen to it, you'd be like, I, I, I could have listened to that. Like, I feel like you could listen to it and not be like running out the door. Let's move on. American Pie soundtrack. All the humdrum feels of a modern white rocker with oh, tonic. Oh, tonic, yes. Yeah. yeah. Chris, Crystal... Was, was rocking out with that we song. We were all getting way into that. I, I actually like that song a lot better than If You Could Only See. Everybody was all yeah, about that yeah, song, yeah. and I found that song a lot more enjoyable. Mm. We were, I feel like Chris and I, one of our G-Chat conversations, we were talking about the lead singer and how he just, I seem to recall having a conversation about how he just looked like a total dork. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's bald, red, ginger. He kind of looks like Louis C.K., actually. He looks like Louis C.K. A little bit, yeah. Or does Louis C.K. look like him? I don't think Louis C.K. looked like him back then, because I think he had hair in that, around that time. Fair enough. But, well, maybe not. They, they had, like, three big songs. There was another one. I think I liked the third one. Mm, I don't remember. I just I remember those two. Because I think their second record had a little bit of success, yeah. But yeah. And now they're playing uh, the 90s Fest. Right? Are they playing that? I think so. Let's keep yeah. going. Oh, wait, 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 wait. We got more? No. Oh, what, what, what station? station. Oh, oh um, so the Tawai song is definitely on the top one. Yeah, definitely top one. Um, and then the, what was the Push. Oh, the same thing. Yeah, they're both on the same station. Yeah. Great. I stumped you guys a little bit. One that sounds like Chris Cornell, but and it is not... Chris Cornell. It is it, it is. Oh, it's his, his, it's his solo. solo. Yeah. So what? was it called Carry On? I don't remember the name of the album, but 
I feel like it's been a pretty lucrative career. No, I've kind of started in the, the late 90s with the Great Expectations soundtrack. Oh, yeah, that was... He did the song Sun Shower. You know, the Gwyneth Paltrow and Ethan Hawke movie. Of course. Right. So he did that movie. He did the soundtrack for that movie, rather. And I haven't heard that song in ages, but that always stuck stuck out. Mm -hmm. And it's very memorable for the most part. And then uh, when he released his solo album, that was the lead single called She Can't Change Me. Right. What station do you think that came from oh i'm thinking of the top force yeah you'd be yeah. right yeah his solo career is definitely uh interesting because i'm thinking yeah so he had some record whatever that record was it could have been self-titled i don't know then some other forgettable record in the mid-2000s and then he did a record called scream uh which was he which timbleton produced which was it like a disaster? Uh-huh. Um, do you remember anything from that record? No. Oh, yeah, it was like an embarrassment. It was like, it's really, if you go back and watch the videos from that, it's like you can't believe that this is the dude from Soundgarden. Well, you, know, you look at some group like Stone Temple Pilots and how Scott Weiland tried to gain a solo career after, and we see how that succeeded. And Chris Cornell was going through some really kind of weird mental shit going on right around the end of Soundgarden and how he needed to get the fuck away from the band. And uh, Scott Weiland had his own differences with the band and tried to get back together. I, I actually, Scott Weiland had a solo record in 1998 that I really liked, which was also one of my first CDs uh, called 12 Bar Blues. Uh-huh. I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Yeah. Weiland now is, it's, it's a shame. Because so- I've always thought he was a really underrated guy. It blows because now his whole like it just it just keeps getting worse and worse and just there's ass videos of him singing really bad and just the you know it's like whatever he reunited with the with the group and it was a mess because he was still just hitting something you know whatever and um, Chris Cornell seems everything seems to be okay with him I mean sound right hey, together whatever but arguably one of the best male vocalists of all time I mean in the modern era for sure sure that's the public opinion. I can't really listen to Chris Cornell's voice for more than 20 minutes. Like, I, I definitely can never really get through a Soundgarden record. Um, I used to have Temple of the Dog cassette. I've always uh, I thought he's cool, but I'm not, uh, certainly not a fan. <laughs> Identity. 
didn't hear in that last set was before the first song the moby song porcelain. porcelain which was not complete because i guess in a lot of cases when you're recording a radio mixtape you sometimes record over sure. and you have like a piece of some other song left over yeah but the three but the th- of the three songs you heard in there they actually all come from the same station which do you think definitely the Oscar correct so um, let, let's work our way back here. First of all, Moby. Moby, okay, yeah. M- body Rock. So yeah, Body Rock and Porcelain. So I mean, both together were from Play. Yes. And which is another CD that I own, still own. 1999's Breakthrough album. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's the kind of video that you see playing in like an Abercrombie and Fitch or something. Yeah, in all the dance, <laughs> to the dance. Exactly. Thing and uh, yeah, I mean, teenage guy. I mean, as the name with Alicia, she lo- we both always bonded over Moby and um, we yeah we, we've played both of those videos like we probably played all the videos from Clay um, at our parties over the past year and a half yeah Moby I feel like kind of gets it's a, it's a bit underrated I feel like I don't know there's multiple Moby albums that I really enjoy it's kind of like Beck and he's got a very varied career of uh, where every single album although you can't say necessarily that they're all different, but he definitely goes back and forth between rock and uh, electronics. Yeah, I mean it's definitely reductive to compare to that, but the same. But it is, I would say, there is a bit of a parallel in the sense of just sort of jumping around in terms of. That, that's all. Stuff. It's it's not so much as a comparison, more than it is just taking an example of the ability yeah. to jump from one genre to the next without really any concern. Yeah, and, and play was always just a sweet spot because it just it you know, the stuff that he does on an album, it's not like he hadn't done before on previous records, but it's just sort of like this type of music that was just sort of hitting a spot in that time, ninety nine, two thousand. That that I mean there's a reason why every single song on that that album is licensed. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's the thing. That's like, good. along with yeah. Fatboy Slim, Moby's uh, commercial cash cow, I and mean, that was like, yeah, I mean, that I was think, a sweet time to be a techno producer. He's still probably living off of the success of that as a license for sure. Record. And that was also at a time where record sales definitely also would garner a lot of yeah. like where you could get. So he is definitely like somebody who. Like, it doesn't matter that his records instead have not done that well. Like, he probably is still living well off of... Well, very well. Off of the success of that, just from being licensed so much, 
but also just the record selling so much because of the licensing. Right. His music lives on in more than just car ads from the aughts. I mean, let's let's be real here. Yeah, but, I mean, but even if it didn't, it didn't. he'd be fine. Yeah, because yeah. 18 was the follow-up, and that kind of did the same exact thing. I, that also got licensed. I just, yeah, I could not get into the album. Yeah, and, 18 is really boring. Yeah. Like, there's a few, I mean, I love We Are All Made of Stars. Yeah. But 18 is very similar to play, but, like, doesn't really have the... It sounds exactly like what it, you know... It's like play light. To, yeah, it sounds like somebody trying to recreate a sort of thing. Because every record he had done up to that point did a different... The general feel of it did a different thing. And 18 was the first time that he was like, oh, I'll just do the same thing again. Crystal, did Body Rock uh, resonate with you, too, when you saw it for the first time? Or when you saw the video or when you heard it for the first time? Mm-hmm. More than, like, any of the earlier other movie stuff? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the, the my my introduction to Moby was definitely the videos because I feel like a lot of them had videos mm-hmm. and this whole thing, and I allowed myself to like it. <laughs> you, what's good? Did you? That's why I'm at that point. I just got a little older, and so it's kind of like I, I guess I can like this. Well, yeah, we've talked about how there's certain stuff specifically, actually, from this era that I feel like that you almost had reservations about Yeah, liking. well, like, like... Ray of Light. Ray of Light. Mm. Yeah. It's another one. Or yeah. just, like, all of a sudden, we're like, I'm like I, I like this. Because, yeah. Like, you know. Because, yeah, Crystal and her sister, Selena, are both very... They're both very, like, musically conscious people. Right. And, you know, and I had this, too, where it was, like, a thing where it's, like... Was it okay that I'm like yeah. this? Is it cool? Yeah. But why would you worry necessarily? I guess you should worry when you're younger. For sure, you should. And and clearly, when you're somebody who has his own sort of uh, comp- complexities, where I'm just sort of going to record what I'm going to record. Like I don't know anybody who in my high school was listening to Chibo Mato. I just mm-hmm. like that song. Yeah. And you resonated with that song. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, yes. Yeah. Huge Shibamato fans. Sure. I still have, I keep, I know, I have these like little stickers, uh, Chibamato, like sticker set, but they're all based on labels for food. Yeah. <laughs> Sci fi <laughs> Wosabi was the name of that song. It's funny because, yeah, yeah with, with me, I don't think, I didn't listen to Chibamato back then, but Miho Atori was popping up on everything oh, around yeah. that era. Yeah. So my brother, between my brother and I, we just, we always had, between 1998 or 97 or so until about 2002, you know, between us, we always, we all, we had so many different CDs in which Miho Atori would pop up between, uh, as we talked about Beastie Boys. And um, Gorillaz, too. Uh, and yeah, so like, yeah, everything from, so like Beastie Boys, like she sings back of vocals on a song called I Don't Know on that record, and yeah, and she was all over the first Gorillaz record, and she did a record with, uh, who was the, what was the name of the other girl in the band? Yuka Honda. Yuka Honda. Uh, Yuka Honda and her also did a thing called Butter 8. Yeah, that's right. Um, I didn't know about that, but that's... Yeah, it's, a, it's like this sort of Grand Royale super group. Oh, fair um, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. And yeah. Yuka Honda was, did Sean Lennon stuff. Yeah, they were dating. They were dating. And, um, she's on his record. Yeah, so, and I believe, I think my brother might have had one of his albums. So, yeah, like, in my house, those, the two of them were around. Yeah. Although it's funny because neither he nor I owned any, either of the two Chibamato albums until much later. I had, I got Evil Woman when I worked at the record store, which is about 10 years later. I just, I don't know anything about Chibamato, uh, you know, looking back at it. My only real association with Chibamato, and the reason why I ever really know who they were, was because they had a song called Know Your Chicken yes. back in 1996, I believe, and almost confused with that and Pizzicato 5. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I 
when I first heard Pizzicato Five, I, I thought it was a Chico Five. They had they had a song called Good, which I was super into a lot, and both of those songs actually showed up on uh, WDST a yeah. lot. <laughs> just showing just the insanity of where the music uh, direction was going. Uh, Nick Harcourt of uh, KCRW fame, I believe, was uh, heralding a lot of the choices back then mm-hmm. when he was on the station. Um, the uh, monster movie feel of the sci-fi Wasabi song, Achieve Amato, as it was going right after Flaming Lips, although that Flaming Lips song was not on Yoshimi. It was on the Soft Bolton, yeah. which was one of my... Yeah, that's one of my jam albums. Yeah. I love that album. God. Yeah, we were just talking about this. Yes, we were, yeah. Because uh, we were talking about Zagreus. I go back to that album every time, and I love it. Yeah, because yeah. we were talking about, well, we were talking about Zagreus yesterday, or two days ago, about um, how that was sort of this dumping ground for all these new sounds that they wanted to try out. Like, And Zagreus is just a mess. It's just like you listen to it. You need four CD players. You need player. four CD players to have it, to play it. But even when you do that, the payoff is not very good, because, I don't know, Zagreus is just like... It has all those flaming lips sounds, right? Those, those the keyboards and stuff, the stuff that became their signature with Sopolin. But it was like them just first trying them out, and it's just a total mess. Of, like all the songs are just like they're kind of jarring and weird, and they're not really that good. Uh, and the Sopolin is it, is them like sort of putting all that together and making like really great sounds out of it. Crystal was listening to the Sopolin when it came out, I believe. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for me, uh, yeah, I got into that album a few years later. Um, I was a big champion of Thin Lips. Yeah. And, yeah. And he, that boyfriend's into it, and I'm like, I snuck it in there. Oh, yeah. Mixtapes. Yeah. I'm not saying who it was. What's funny, though, is that also Buggin', which is the song you played. It's not called the Spider Bite song? No, that's a different song. The oh, song, my God. Like I said, it's called bu- Buggin'. You're right. I can't believe you. You're totally. Okay, so. Um, sorry about that, everybody. I, they, they are, that was yeah. that. That's they that was, that was, right after each other on the record. Uh, they both involved bugs. Wayne Coyne, you <laughs> fooled me again. But, okay, uh, so it's it's, it's called bugs. Song is about the guy almost dying from a spider bite. Yeah, and well, and then yeah, and the car accident and the yeah yeah each person. Yeah yeah. Bugging though is just a nice little tune. And it was, it, it still wasn't a single. When you're trying to make a mixtape, it's not really so much as that you want to pick the non-single. Sometimes I feel like the more you get into artists, you feel like you want to go the obscure route. But mm-hmm. traditionally, when you see a mixtape, you want to see stuff that you know, right? Yeah. And that said, I remember every time I would make a mixtape with my own CD material, um, I would just make a lot of use out of all the non-single material because every mix would have a certain theme, and if I only had so many CDs, which I feel like I did at the time, but whatever, the fact was is that I was repeating a lot of the same artists, but I was picking different songs that yeah. fit within the theme. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of listening to non-single material. Anyway. I, I always remember wanting to just make a good balance you know, of, of notable stuff and obscure things and when I, when I would make tapes and stuff. Likewise with you, Crystal? Yeah, I feel like with that kind of stuff, because I was making tapes for boys, I was trying to be cool, and so I would pick the things, I would pick the songs that I thought they would like. Likewise, but for ladies. <laughs> let's, let's, we, have, we have a few more songs to go. Let's keep going. The way that you are
To the mic a little closer. <laughs> okay. uh, Do your best at koal yeah, check yeah. or whatever. <laughs> so, starting uh, starting in order, I guess it was yeah. Smash Mouth was the first one. Yeah. Yep. It's funny because it started. I thought that was Walking on the Sun, but it, it was then the morning comes. Is the song it was then the morning comes. Yeah. That and that geez. and. Like they, I mean, they're still around. They, and they, they're they, going to be at the '90s fest with Tonic. Yeah, they've been in the news lately because of this incident that happened at uh, some festival in Colorado, I think, where um, people were throwing bread. They were throwing bread, and the lead singer, <laughs> his name escapes me at the moment, but he was super upset about it. And, I'd be upset too if you yeah, wasted was, all that bread on. Yeah, him. and he was he was he was threatening people in the audience. And the funny thing about it was that the band was trying to just get All Star going. They were yeah. they were playing the intro. Crystal and I watched it here. I remember showing it to her. We were both just like jaws on the floor, like and just how embarrassing it was because this band's just going like, dip, 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 yeah. And he's like just yelling at people in the audience, and, and it's like the the security has to come and like hold him back and stuff. And but yeah, no, they're gonna be here in Brooklyn. It's like a blueberry pie in the face. It's very like uh, just. Oh, it that? looks we, good. We were looking. I, I think I sent it to you. Right? It probably tastes <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, Crystal sent it to me first, and I was like, "What is this?" Yeah, and I looked at it, and it was just like, uh, it was just so embarrassing because it was just sort of like, well, first off, Blind yeah, Melon without the lead singer. Yeah. yeah, I mean, they've been doing that for a while. Actually, uh, okay, but what you know, it's funny when you see something like that that there's like, there's always like one or two artists where you're just sort of like, oh, you're better than that. And for me, that's like Lisa Loeb. She's done uh, like reality TV, so she's yeah, kind of done like, her fill of Cash Cow. No, she's not on the Food Network. No, no, no. Maybe not anymore. She had a show with Dweezil, but it was not a. I don't think it was just a straight up reality show. I think it had an objective, and I think it was a Food Network show. The second song we heard was uh, Live, The Dolphins Cry. That is another perfect example of, oh shit, it's the late 90s, how do we sound relevant like the yeah. mid 90s again? Exactly, yeah. And that was a fairly successful song. Again, I would say that was probably on the top 40 station. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, you would be right. And then as well, a, what? As a Smith. Incorrect, actually. Oh wow. I, I thought it would be two, but uh, I was listening to the DJ's voice, and that sounded like a little bit of a uh, front cell that would be of the India variety because wow. they weren't doing the call letters. That's funny. Um, you were wrong. You, you were wrong. Um, yeah, but listen, I mean, live by this point was already the established arena rock band, and that station definitely catered to the arena rock, the yeah. Creed, the Pearl Jam, the yeah. live. Uh, and I liked then, live. I mean, I, 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 that song was great, but but it's it's also one of those songs where you're like, of course it's live. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, I don't know. That song was very cheesy. I mean, I like. I did think I liked it at the time. Yeah. I feel like I was just a very big, a big loyalist. So it was like a thing where I had the two records before that, and even the one before that, I had them set. And yeah, like I just, I just would keep following them. But I remember that album was just sort of like, I'm like, oh man, like what? Because I guess when you're at the time when like like post grunge is happening and stuff like that, yeah. I just feel like you're not quite realizing how lame it is. That you're just sort of like following these bands, but you're not realizing that it's going down this really like, depressing path. Yeah. Yeah. Fuel, for example. I don't think I, I got into any post grunge bands that started in the deep like deep into the, the late nineties. I feel like the ones that I was listening to were ones that were popular right. when Yeah. No, I, I get kind of a new sound. I get what you're saying completely. I feel like I was just uh, retracting an, an old sure. point uh, to reinforce the fact that Live was basically trying to be like, well, we're the grandfathers of this shit. We have yeah. to remain. We've been doing this for four years, so we're the grandfathers. <laughs> yeah. But, like, Fuel would be an example of a band that, no, I did not listen to because that was, again, a band that, like, like that started yeah. deep into that era. Exactly. Throwing Copper still remains one of my favorite albums. And Flawless Jerry Harrison production. Mm. The Dolphins Cry. Jerry Harrison produced that record, too. You know, he, I feel like he produced the first album they did too. I might be wrong. I feel like he I, produced all. Jewelry. I think yeah. He, I think he also did that. Yeah. So we're looking at really the secret Samadhi is the only one not, and that. I like that album a lot, actually. So I'm not, I'm, I'm, you are a third album apologist. That's the thing with you, Doug. Yeah. Whereas the distance to here is a fourth. What album, is wrong so with him? <laughs> With a call of the freaks! With a call of the freaks! I'll go on record and say Secret Samadhi is my favorite. I, I don't, that album's very dark. It's very, like, it's it's not a very straightforward. What was the first single? Bikini's Juice. Bikini's Juice was an amazing song, but. Great video. Yeah, and then, and then the second video, video. Yeah, but then the second song said it came out, Freaks. They lost me on that. Oh, I love the Freaks. And man. they've lost me since then. I was like, oh. oh. We're gonna go that way now. No, too too high octane for me. The free video is, I I think, is still very. It's, I think that it's a great song and a great video. I'm learning a lot about yeah, you, Doug, and I'm really glad we did this. We is this relationship over? <laughs> <laughs> what, what at the time were you allowed to talk about? You were allowed to talk about after the show was done. But before we move on, I just wanted to clarify. Uh, you're. Uh, interest Crystal in this music. Uh, you know, is there anything so far that we haven't talked about in regards to like the arena rock kind of thing, like the Bush, the Live, the, the kind of the machismo that has definitely found its way into this mixtape a little bit? Is there anything we haven't talked about? Yeah, I mean, is there something about that I think that, or is what what has been thus far for you the, the overall theme that you found? In this 1999 mixtape, mm. I think most of the stuff. I'm surprised that I haven't been like 
really like attached to a lot of it actually. Mm. Like it wasn't my I feel like it was a, a yeah. male it was definitely a male kind of experience. Or a male mistake for yeah. me. Yeah. Um because yeah, I mean just in my ninety nine my ninety nine is very different. Yeah. Um well, this is probably a lot of stuff that wasn't necessarily of the college variety anymore. I yeah. mean, it was I mean, very... this, this, I was like graduated high school, mm-hmm. so it was like a really weird time for me because I was going to college. And yeah. Thing. And you had your end of the year song that was probably nowhere near any of this at all. Well, um, I didn't know what my. It wasn't vitamin C, I can assure you. No, it was not. Thank well, you. I mean, I was more excited that I said nine, but Prince was gonna be. Prince <laughs> 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 Yeah. <laughs> You got I mean, the card. I, yeah, I was like counting down. Yeah. Every time I was in, in junior high, I was like, that's going to be myself. It's funny because I remember my sister <laughs> saying the same thing. Uh, I, I, but I remember what I said in the like even at the time, is it being an underwhelming year? I remember just not, it, it, in general, not being like super into anything that was like new. Because I feel like 1999 is, 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 is actually kind of a crossroads period. I feel like there's many things from 1987 that is very peak, and I feel like it doesn't get peak again for me, at least, until 2002. Mm-hmm. So I feel like late 98 to 2002 is, to 2001, is kind of a, like a dead kind of area. Well, because uh, it's a transition. Because I feel like it's a very transition. And what do you call it? You know, what do you, you mean, I mean, obviously you know what to call it, but well, in terms of if it's the 90s or if it's the aughts, it's well, the 90s, but well, it's not the true 90s. Musically, rock stuff like the alternative mainstream was moving, had been completely into this post grunge thing. Yeah. Where everything was just copy of a copy of a copy, where, where you had this sort of thing where we heard tonight, where we were like these bands like Bush and Live and whatever, you know, that were sort of like, it's like they're imitating a sound that's like an imitation, imitation of an imitation or something. Pop wise, the top 40 completely changed and they had gone to this teen pop thing, which we haven't touched on at all on this thing, but that was a huge thing around this time, from 98 to about 2001, where it was like Britney Spears and uh, Insane yeah. and Back to Street Boys. You know, whereas before, because I, I feel like I really enjoyed pop music before 98 and post-2002, but in that pocket is where it gets very teen. It's like a very teen. Yeah, new, yeah, yeah new it definitely lost me. Like I could actually enjoy the pop at that time. Yeah. Like I love a lot of pop. Music. Yeah, we both love pop like music, that. but that was kind of a day area, I think, for both of us. And it's, it's a very weird crossroads. Yeah, that was a weird time. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had to bring up pavement again, but I was listening to a lot of pavement. Yeah. In 2000, that was like my thing. I don't know. Steve Malcolmus, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but I guess like in terms of like a mainstream thing, everybody was sort of in a transitional period. Um, it was a transitional period for me, I think, too. Yeah. I, I was starting to get into more like classic rock slash college age rock kind yeah. of uh, material and hip hop, more importantly. Yeah. Because even rap was going into like, a transitional phase, I feel. Yeah. And it's a weird time. Like, 1999, like, it's fun going back to it because it's such a weird period. But it's weird because I feel like there's no solid things going on in that period. And there's actually a lot of embarrassing things going on in that period. Like, we also knew metal. Uh, was another thing that we haven't. You, you, you're lucky that I was not very much into that at all. <laughs> yeah. and it appears nowhere here. In terms of my lifetime, there are more things that I feel like are sort of embarrassing and like very just bad that came from this specific era that we're talking about. 
Well, that's why um, I'm here for to, know, to help soften the blow. But I love, I mean, I love going back to it because it's such a weird period yeah. because everything is just going into this like, ugh, like what are we, what are we doing? It's like Barbie Girl, like fucking bubble number five. These are like embarrassing pop songs. 
Crystal, <laughs> any, any last words? Uh, no, this is really fun. I actually wanted to ask you, when did you stop making taste on the radio? When did I stop making tapes on the radio? I, honestly, I didn't make that you many never tapes. You <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> the thing you have to remember is I was on the radio uh, as a DJ. Uh, as I have talked in previous shows, uh, I, you know, I did a radio show for four years, so um, my involvement in the radio just took another turn. Like I was doing it from the other end as opposed to listening to radio and recording it. I was making it and recording my own, in, my own material, basically. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe there's like a few years, I would say, I was not really paying attention to the radio, but, you know, I come and go. I feel like the Lost and Rewound uh, ethos has been kind of to go in the shameless route, and lately we've been diving into the uh, like what we listen to on the radio uh, a lot, just because it just has been coming up, and um, I'm really glad that I was able to contribute my own tape uh, and have some good uh, ears. Yeah. Around the table to listen to it. Doug Bledgy and Crystal Hernandez. Yeah. On Lost Number One on B Sides. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Do you have a dance of your zone of your very own gathering dust in your parents' basement? Well, we'd love to hear your artifact audio, no matter how old it is. Email your contributions to lostandrewound at gmail.com. Can I go check with us? Oh, it's fireworks. Natural life fourth. Oh, no. Yeah, no. <laughs>